Welcome to the podcast Imaginations and Cancellations. My name is Annie Nazari and in front of me is sitting Professor Dr. Franzen Korsten, the person who wrote the book that this podcast is based on. Every episode we tackle a chapter of the book and try to understand the city through vectorizing sensibilities, which is the way that our feelings and senses are steered by how cities are presented. Each episode we will have two cities as a case study so we can understand the topics even better. This episode we will be talking about generic forms of fragments and improvisation in the cities Barcelona and Lagos. So uh, today's episode cities are Lagos and Barcelona and um, we will look into collages and place and well Lagos has a big uh, slum mm-hmm. Makogo but you often referred in, through the, throughout this whole podcast to slums as improvisation areas of improvisation do it, your, do it yourself sir. oh yeah do it yourself <coughs> yeah, yeah. so kind of like improvise is that improvisation partly of course you have to improvise if you do it yourself but it let's say the term do it yourself emphasizes the agency that people have so by and large people in slums are considered to be uh, unfortunate poor um, disadvantaged which is all partly true uh, but it's also mighty expressive, uh, impressive how they how they are able how these people are able to to make their own environment and live there uh, with the materials that they have and the affordances that they are offered. So, I prefer do-it-yourself areas also because these areas, of course, are not planned or designed. It's it's a, it's in that sense it's an urban form of improvisation that no one knows beforehand what that will grow out into. And uh, when thinking back on this chapter, um, I think one of the disadvantages of taking Makoko is that that this massive city of uh, Lagos, I mean, there's more than 20 million people living there, uh, somehow is then perhaps too much reduced to that one area. Uh, but on the other hand, it's it's a, it's an iconic area um, in a in a city that has been growing. Partly, of course, on the basis of what people planned, but partially, partly also because it, it went so fast. Uh, it's been growing, let's say, on the basis of improvisation. And that is, that's not how a collage works, right? No, it or does. No, it does. So um, if, you, if you really make a collage, you don't know before what you're going to make. Oh, yeah, that's true. So a collage means that you first start to collect material, um, whether that's, let's say, uh, cuttings from a paper or from journals, or whether that's language. So, for instance, one famous modernist novel by John Los Passos, USA, has uh, recurring collages uh, that consist in headlines of newspaper articles and, and clips from newspaper articles. And they kind of put underneath one another as if it's a poem. So that's one example. The other example is that you that you bring in different materials, even different textures. So you could also bring in cloth or or different forms of paper or pictures and language. And then you start to make something with that without knowing beforehand where that will end up. So, so yes, the collage is, in essence, the genre of improvisation. When you're looking into a classical painting, it has one perspective. Right. Uh, but when you look to a um, collage, it has multiple perspectives of moving things. Mm-hmm. True. The question is even whether you could uh, consider the collage in terms of perspective because it's so many fragmented things. So each thing in itself might project some sort of uh, imagination of a perspective. But, but in a sense, 
yeah, almost as a characteristic, the collage misses perspective. In the sense that once perspective organizes uh, the entire thing, you could even think of, let's say, four or five perspectives that organize a certain space. But then even that is not the case with the collage. And I think um, if we follow the logic of what this part of the book is doing, it's talking about genres as forms of organization. So what if we take the collage as a genre to consider the city? And then what I think is important and also valuable is that we, we entirely miss the idea that we should have some sort of supreme point of view from which the entire city is organized. No. Um, and, and I think that's important because uh, there's also a different form of, of intelligence involved, right? So if we, only, if we are only capable of thinking of, let's say, urban design in terms of a top-down model, then we are prioritizing a certain form of intelligence, which might also be too instrumental or too rational, to put it that way. And if you have a collage, you have a kind of uh, a, a collision of elements, a collision of elements, frictions, uh, borders that are not really sharp, uh, moving from one element to another might bring you into another world. And still, it's, it's one thing that hangs together. Yeah. And I think that's, that's important to, to acknowledge that form of intelligence of organization. All the different elements might seem different, but when you step back and look at it, it's, it makes sense that they are... Yeah. In a, yeah, it makes sense, but in a, in a different kind of sense than, than what you would have. So the example that you gave of, let's say, having a picture with one perspective and as a result, the illusion of depth. So that's, that's what a collage will always miss. It will never have that depth. It's, it's more a matter of moving from one thing to another through these different textures. In a sense, the collage is really a, uh, a bottom-up genre, right? So as, mm-hmm. if, as if you constantly move through the streets. There's, no, there's never... Uh, one orchestrating view from above. You could say, of course, the collage also has one subject looking at it. That's true. But you have to move into it, let's say, not just looking, but also sensing it in order to understand what it's doing. Mm. So in that sense, a collage and a do-it-yourself area are, um, I mean, you have to be in it and you have to, it's very ad rem the making of it, you don't necessarily already know what you're going to make. Right. Even if you would look at the materials that people use, yeah, that's already collage itself. So they most most of the time they, they build their houses from, from the material that they can find, or that's washed ashore. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have a you have a collage of, of materials making up the housing of people. Yeah. And I think following the logic of the collage means that you don't that you so in a sense I'd have to go back to the chapter and see what visualizations we used to uh, to represent Makoko. We would have to reject, in a sense, a, a top-down view or, or a drone view. You'd mm-hmm. have to have a view from from the inside, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that notion that that Lagos, you can't really see Lagos as um, maybe like one thing, one of the things that we discussed in earlier episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is... Um, very comprehensive when you think of Lagos as a collage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the only way to capture the chaotic uh, intensity. Like when you're in Lagos, it's when you, you're, you're looking around, you're smelling everything, you're seeing, you're, you're feeling, you're hearing everything like coming by, but there's no one 
other thing you can capture. It's the, the, the fragments of everything. That's true. I, I wonder, Annie, whether you'd have to call it chaotic. So it might oh. seem chaotic for, let's say, someone coming from the outside because someone's not familiar with that, that kind of intensity and that kind of organization. Yeah. So I think if you go to the people living in it, they won't describe it as chaotic. It's their world. Uh, and actually, I think perhaps one of the best ways to describe Lagos would be, let's say, a collection of worlds. So like, like when every, every, every element of a collage represents, in a sense, a world in itself or connotes a world. So yes, uh, may seem chaotic, probably is, for someone who's coming there. And at the same time, for someone living there, that's, that's how the world is organized. Well, that's also when you look, first look at a collage you've never seen before, you're overwhelmed. Right. That's the same thing. But yeah. then when you look at it and get familiar with it, for example, if it hangs in your house, you look at it every day, you're familiar with it, and right. it's not chaotic anymore. Right. It's the same. Yeah. So Lagos is a collage because it has no center. It's super diverse. Super diverse, no center, um, partly planned, partly grown out of itself, grown together also from different parts. Um, I also have written down here that um, it's a collage in the real sense environment. Maybe that, I think that was what I was referring to. Lagos is a collage in the real sense. That's true. It's an urban collage, yeah. Yeah. And more cities probably have that. <laughs> uh, absolutely, especially cities that have, let's say, exploded in the last three decades or so. So the numbers are so immense. So this is also why I think Rem Kolhas, who is a, a major architect, uh, used to this top-down view, um, looking at cities from the perspective of a designer, was at some point became fascinated by Lagos because it, it, it develops itself differently. And I think it's important to keep on emphasizing it's a different intelligence or a different form of sensing. Uh, and we need to do justice to that. So, so adopting some sort of modernist model or frame as the only frame possible uh, might, might not really help you to understand the majority of cities that are growing at the moment globally. Yeah, of course. It's a very Western-centered. Right. Yeah. Basically only works for Western cities. And yeah. And then even there, let's say, the, yeah. the, the real big ones and how they've been reorganized, like Paris, the Haussmann reorganization, or Berlin with the, the big avenues and so forth. Yeah, so there's also, uh, as we saw in the previous session, almost a fascist fascination with, with designing the city in that way. So uh, Lagos, I would say, is a people's city. Yeah. <laughs> Made by its people. Yeah, yeah. And without its people be nothing. Right, yeah. Um, with every city, maybe, yeah. but um, a city that is actually very organized is Barcelona, right? With the ejemplos yeah. that are, uh, when you look fr um, to it from above, they're little sea formal uh, buildings mm -hmm. in a form of sea, and in the middle, it's like a garden thing, yeah. and it's open but it's closed at the same time, mm -hmm. and this is a way of um, structuring. Yeah. Barcelona. So Exemplar is, uh, I believe it's Exemplar. Is I, it Exemplar? Yeah, so I, I, I asked someone, I said, no, it's, it's not Spanish, it's, it's Exemplar. Anyway. Uh, well, maybe French. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll have to okay. check it, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, this is a, an extension, that's what it means. That, that's what it means. Uh, so the city becomes too crowded, then you have these big extensions. Extensions are, in, in, in Europe, from a certain moment onwards, almost always planned. And in this case, it's, it's extremely planned. 
It's a completely coherent and consistent grid. And you described it adequately, adequately in, its, in its origin, where you have, would have two Cs, let's say, uh, opposite to one another and an opening in between, which would be then one public space. When the thing was built, they closed the open C part, so the, it, they, this became rectangulars. All closed off entities in, in themselves with in the middle then, yeah, what had become uh, private property or let's say a uh, sort of garden for the people living on the ground floor. But originally uh, it consisted of building blocks that had enormous potential to, uh, to have green public spaces. Of course, let's say partly related to the people who live there, but also accessible to others. Well, that's not what happened. So here we have a fully designed and yet even here in practice differently worked out um, grid, but it's a grid for sure. I mean, if you look at it from above, it's uh, it's, it's one of the most fascinating grids that, that I think that I that I know. Yeah, it does look fascinating. Yeah. But why did did you include Barcelona in this chapter uh-huh. that is about improvisation? Um, <laughs> while while we just described it as very organized. That's a from good, the top. That, that's a good question. So let's say Barcelona could have been dealt with in almost any of the chapters, but let's say with the the full design of urban environments, the design made by someone, that design starts to orchestrate the lives of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people. And that's strange, right? So, so how is it possible that one design, if it's a bureau or kind of some sort of genius having kind of made it up, starts to organize urban space in such a way that it forces people to live in that way And that provokes the question, which was posed by the situationists in the 50s and 60s of the previous century, 1950s, 1960s. If we have an urban space that is completely produced on the basis of certain interests, serving certain interests, how can we open that up again? How can we make urban space more into a space to be played with? So the situationists did not work in Barcelona themselves. They were more French-based. But this um, plan, this extension of Barcelona, is an icon for a certain way of organizing the urban environment in such a way that it becomes fixed. And then the question becomes, how can we open that up again? How can we start to play with that? And that was actually the question that the situationists posed, not because they simply wanted to have fun. (laughs) Uh, There was a distinct political agenda behind this, or a social agenda, or an ethical agenda that said, why is, why is the urban environment organized in this way? For, for them, let's say, the modern organization of, of the city is distinctly serving uh, an economic system, capitalism, that needs functions to be clearly separated, that needs people who can be transported fast enough from one place to another, uh, and so forth. Um, so the people are living under a rule that's actually only satisfies capitalism is that what if yeah if push comes to shove that's that's, that's I think what the situation situationist would say that that the entire organization of life also how we live in urban environments uh, serves the functioning of an economic system capitalism which is why they were let's say against capitalism uh, Guy Debord one of the more famous almost the leader of the situationists, wrote a book called uh, The Society of the Spectacle, 
in which he analyzes that that under capitalism everything has become uh, ruled by how things appear, and it's that society of the spectacle with its force that they consider to be analogous to how the city operates. Right. So is this really a space in which people live? with all their complexities? Or is this a city that somehow has to appear, has to appear as organized, ordered, beautiful? And then indeed the question is, okay, if I'm against that, uh, one option of course could be that you develop plans to destroy such an urban environment. But what they decided to do was to, to say, okay, let's start to play with it. Let's try to deregulate it on our own account. And they made up this... Uh Rules, right? This really like, yeah. You see a red car turn right, or yeah, the, something like that. The derive, as they called it. So on average, if you move through an urban environment, you know where you want to go to, or you're on your way to work, or to let's say an appointment, what have you. As a function. As a function, and everything is organized to make that possible, right? So you take a bus or a tram or what have you, and and you know where you're going to, and that's the connection, and they. Uh, <laughs> They didn't develop certain rules, but let's say the the model was that you that you think of something that that runs completely counter to that. So suppose you would be on your way to your work, and then you suddenly say, "If I see a bird, I'll follow that bird." Now birds are pretty uh, hard to follow, uh, but you could also say, "If I see a bird, then I'll see where that bird flies to, and then I'll I'll start to move in that direction." And then you see another bird, and that will probably be another direction, and then you start to move in that direction. So this would lead to a completely different way of moving through the urban environment. Uh, it can also be drawn, then, then you have a different kind of map. So you get a sort of map of, of how you moved idiosyncratically, non-functionally, playfully through that urban environment. Just to make the statement that we should not only have to be obedience to the function of a city? That's it. Yeah, so not only, I think they would be more radical. They would say, and life has been organized entirely in, ah, in modernist, okay. cir modern circumstances on the basis of functions. Yeah, so they're saying that we should be more playful. It sounds very exhausting to me, but <laughs> <laughs> following a bird around the city, yeah. it's... <laughs> yeah. I think you should give it a try at some point. See what it brings you. So, of course, I, th I, I find it fascinating that you, that you think it's tiring. It probably is. Uh, this, mean, is also, this is also why they advise to do it with, with a couple of people. So, of course, it's, it's also teasing a bit, and, and teasing can be tiring, right? If, yeah. you, if you keep on teasing, that at some point you say, yeah, well, let's stop it now. But to experience what it means if you move through the city differently, following these absurd, playful rules... It's at least something that you should try out, at, or could try out at some point, to see what it brings. It brings you coincidence. You could also go into a city that you don't know and start walking around. Yeah, that's true. But then they would say, yes, but then you're still following, let's say, the pre-programmed roads. Uh, but it would come close, I think, yeah. that, if you, that if you would be thrown into a city without knowing where to go or without having any plan, you'd probably start to wander. And, and that wandering would be let's say, organized on the basis of coincidences. Yeah, and it will be playful too. I think so, yes, that's true. You're discovering a new city, yeah. and that's fun. Most okay. of the time. For me, that's <laughs> very, that's fun. Yeah. So let's say if you would have to translate that to if you know a city, so what, what they actually suggest is suppose you don't know it. 
Um, suppose I don't know it and I have to follow a bird around? Yes, yeah, suppose that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that, <laughs> that, that would be a way of, of helping you. So you know The Hague pretty well. Yeah, pretty well. Because you live here. Yeah. Now, what they suggest is, suppose you don't live here and you're thrown into it for the first time, how do you wander? Mm, that's the thing. I will probably start at the s- central station mm-hmm. uh, because that's probably where I will arrive yeah. or at the s- something somewhere central and I would just walk around um, the neighborhoods near central station and maybe go to the beach because I would know that the Hague has there a must beach. There be, must be a beach somewhere, yeah. There has to be, so then yeah. I was go mm, maybe plan something out, but that would take away the 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 improvisation true. of the thing. That's true. That's true. I so no, no. So, but let's say I think what they wanted to do was to deregulate, yeah. and that's and that's I think the difference with when you come into a city where you come for the first time, you are in a sense orienting yourself. Yeah. And the city appears as disorienting, and then you start to kind of find points of recognition, or at some point you'll say, "Hey, wait a minute! I just wasn't I here just now?" You start to recognize things, and and their their tactic was to deregulate. So they had an opponent. And it was against the, that opponent that they start, started to play. Okay, you sh- just so you should be deregulated. That's the yeah, uh, first of all, uh, perhaps that's also why you think it's tiring. You should, uh, your analysis should be that there is an opponent. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's not your analysis. That there is or is not an that opponent. That there is an opponent. There is. Yeah, capitalism, design, urban design, functionalism, instrumentalism. Mm. And I don't think that that's how you, uh, how your worldview is organized. No, no. not really. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, then that tactic, of course, falls flat because it, it doesn't yeah. respond to the logic that they found themselves in. I mean, indeed, it works if you if you have that mindset, if you agree with what they think, and with the opponent, what you said that I mean, situationists and many other cultural. Um, Styles yeah. Be better, yeah, so more cultural yeah. styles were derived from the whole thing that there is a an establishment or a thing or a statement, and we have to go against it because right. yeah. we disagree. Yeah. This concludes this episode. Next episode, we will be talking about forms of address and rhythm in the cities Isfahan and Jakarta. Thank you for listening and keep imagining.